John uh, gives us, uniquely among the gospel writers, extended conversations between individuals and Jesus. And last week we read and considered a conversation with someone who would have been considered the ultimate insider. Nicodemus, Pharisee, well-educated, very religious, very well-respected, and now in John 4, John gives us a conversation between Jesus and the ultimate outsider. So John chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Father, help us do that this morning. Help us to hear the invitation of this woman uh, to come and to see Jesus. Give us the desire and the humility to come to your Son as he presents himself. As he says some things to us that are exposing, even humiliating. But also as he offers us life through this word. Help us to have understanding. Help us to have an openness not only with our ears, but with our hearts, to what you want to say. And we pray in your Son's name. Amen. We were putting our youngest son to bed one night, and he started saying a phrase over and over and over again. And as he said this phrase over and over and over again, he became more and more agitated. And this was when he was just learning to talk. And so we couldn't understand him, and we kept asking him, what what did you say? What did you say? And it took us a while to figure it out that he was saying, more passy, more passy, more passy. He had a pacifier in his mouth, but he saw another one on the kitchen counter, and he wanted that one as well. And I don't know if it was the, the desperation of bedtime, but we gave it to him. And as you can imagine, it wasn't enough. The next night it was more passy, more passy, and the next night it was more passy, more passy, till at one point he had five, one in his mouth and two in each hand on his way to bed. Why? Because Sam is human. And as Gerald May says, to be human is to be addicted. To be human is to be addicted. We all have something that we want too much and that leaves us always wanting more. Jesus called it thirst in this passage. He speaks so compassionately and skillfully to this woman and he exposes her desire for more. You see, in verse 16, the shift in the conversation to this woman's history with men is not a change in topic. As he talks about this string of relationships, Jesus has not stopped talking about water. He is saying to her, can't you see you're thirsty? Can't you see in the direction of your life, you have been left wanting more. And we are like her. We don't want to be like her, but we are. We have these deep desires for safety, for approval, for pleasure. And they are insatiable. They leave us thirsty. So, let's listen in on this conversation that Jesus has with this woman 
And let's ask a couple of questions. First of all, why are we thirsty? And then second, where do we get a drink? First, why are we so thirsty? This is the second time in the Gospel of John that Jacob has shown up. You remember Jacob, this character in the Old Testament, founding father of of God's people, the nation of Israel? And in chapter 1, we heard about his ladder. And now in chapter 4, we are at his well. And this well did more than practically serve the hydration needs of the surrounding area. This well was powerfully symbolic of a promise. The promise that God had made to his people of a land. A land where he would provide abundant life for them by living with them. That was the promise symbolized by this well. In fact, Jacob, as he's on his deathbed in Egypt, far away from this land, he bequeaths this plot to his son Joseph as an expression of confidence that God will keep his promise. And then, when the nation of Israel leaves Egypt and begins to travel to this land, they take the bones of Joseph with them and they bury it here, near where Jesus had this conversation with this woman. Now, if you know much about the story of the Old Testament, you know that that dream went horribly wrong. The nation of Israel fractured into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and both parts were defeated by powerful empires, and many of God's people were scattered throughout the world. A few of them were left in the north, and they began to marry people from other nations. And they begin to mix biblical faith with pagan religion. And they begin to say, we must worship not in Jerusalem, but Gerizim. And they became the Samaritans. And as the other people came back from exile to this land, they looked at who the Samaritans were and what they were doing, and they separated themselves from them. Because they were impure. They were dirty. They were compromised, and these two groups hated each other. You can hear the echoes of that tragedy here in this passage, can't you? But think about why the tragedy happened in the first place. Why this horrific splitting of the kingdom and exile and a a less than satisfying return to the land and this continuing rift prophet Jeremiah says it was a water problem. Jeremiah chapter 2, he says all of this has happened because God's people have left God the fountain of living water. And they have dug cisterns for themselves. And those cisterns, those wells, they are broken. And they're always running out. You see, Jacob's well symbolized God's gift, his offer of life, but the people in their sin and idolatry had said, no thank you, we'll find our own water. And they were left thirsty. And just as he did with Nicodemus, Jesus takes this history, this large-scale national narrative, and he brings it to an individual. 
And he says, that story, Samaritan woman, is your story. You have gone from man to man to man trying to dig your own cisterns. Digging in the dirt, looking for water. And as you have, you have left the one who is the fountain of living water and you have been left thirsty. Wanting more. But isn't it amazing Isn't it incredible that God doesn't leave this woman's story in tragedy? Jesus will not leave her story in tragedy. Everyone, even her own people, the Samaritans, would have thought that she was hopeless. That she was as far as life with God, as far from that as possible. She was trash, unwelcomed, shamed, and shunned. Not only from God, but from her own community. But Jesus breaks every social norm possible in order to say, if you would just ask, I'll give you water. I'll give you the water that you're looking for. You see, Jesus doesn't condemn this woman. He doesn't condemn her thirst. He doesn't excuse her sin, but he doesn't condemn her thirst. He says, you were made for a better well. Your thirst is not a bad thing. You were made for a better well. Susan Hirsch is a counselor uh, who has a lot of experience helping addicted people. And in her book, The Last Addiction, she tells the story of a woman who came to see her. And this woman was very affluent, very wealthy, very successful, very on the surface, a very nice family, husband and two kids. Everything seemed to be great with her life. But every night, she would take a 32-ounce Big Gulp cup, fill it with wine, and drink herself to sleep. And so she came to counseling guilty and broken and ashamed. And Susan, in one of their sessions, took four very expensive crystal wine glasses. And she filled them each to the brim with grape juice. And she said to this woman, this is how much you're drinking every night. By any standard, you are an abusing alcoholic. The woman dropped her head and said, I know. And then Susan took one of the glasses and she emptied it and handed it to her. And and said to her, If you're going to drink, drink from this, because you were made for better than big gulp plastic. It's the message of Jesus to this woman in many ways. You were made for better. You were made for more. And that's his message to us. That's his message to us. To you, he does not condemn your thirst. He says, you're made for a better well. Stop digging in the dirt. Come to the fountain of life. You want more because you were made for more. And the tragedy is that we often settle for less. 
We have these deep and profound desires, and we attach them to relationships. We attach them to work. We attach them to substances. We attach them to entertainment. And they leave us thirsty. You're thirsty because you were made for a better well. You were made to drink life from God Himself. Now, knowing that, what do we do? Knowing why we're thirsty, second question, where do we get a drink? Well, Jesus shifts that question from where to who? From place to person. You notice as this woman goes out into her village and invites her neighbors, she doesn't say, come to the well. She says, come see a man. But Jesus gets her there. He gets her to person by way of place. Not only the symbolism of Jacob's well, but this debate about the temple. Doesn't it seem beside the point? We're talking about water. We're talking about profound desire and thirst. And then all of a sudden we're talking about the temple. It seems beside the point, but the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, when he imagined the rebuilt, restored temple, he saw it as having a river that flowed out of it. And flowed not only to Israel, but to all the nations. And satisfied not only thirst, but produced fruit trees and plants for healing. So not surprising then, as the disciples come to Jesus later in the chapter, which we didn't read all the way there, but they come to him and they're confused about what he's doing and Jesus is explaining what's happening with this woman and with these Samaritans who are coming to him and he describes it as a harvest. A harvest of eternal life. You see, the temple is the source of living water because it's the place of God's presence. And Jesus is saying, and what he says, and what he does, and he's already said this in John chapter 2, he's saying the temple is no longer a place, it's a person. The source of that river which satisfies thirst, which produces fruits of righteousness and life, Jesus says, is me. I am the temple. I am the place of God's presence, the source of life. So the question isn't, where will you get a drink? It is, from whom will you get a drink? There are so many remarkable things about that message of Jesus as the temple and all the promises connected to that. Uh, but let me mention one. Buildings can't get thirsty, but people can. Buildings can't get thirsty, but people can. And Jesus, in verses 21 and 23 of this passage, he talks about his hour. And I've already mentioned in this series that whenever Jesus talks about his hour, he is talking about his cross. His cross, where as he died, what did he say? He, the temple of God, the presence of God in flesh said, I'm thirsty. And after he died, the soldier put his spear in his side and outflowed blood 
and water. You see, Jesus doesn't just expose your thirst. He experienced it. He experienced the full results of us wandering to other false wells so that He could then give us the true one. He became thirsty so that we could drink life. So what will you do with your thirst? Where will you go with your thirst? With those deep longings and desires that God has made you with, where will you go with them? Will you come to the true temple and worship Him in spirit and in truth? Which is to say, will you come and receive the One who gives you the presence, the Spirit of God? Will you come and adore the One who is the true fulfillment of all of God's promises? Here's the bottom line. Don't settle for anything less than worship. Don't settle for anything less than joyful surrender to the One who knows you, who can tell you everything that you ever did, but does not reject you. Don't settle for anything less than adoration, belief, and trust in the One who said, I thirst. So he could say to you, come, drink, live. I've noticed, as I have walked the trails of Tallahassee, Florida, I've noticed a certain type of tree. I'm not a tree expert, so I don't know what kind they are, but I've noticed them, and they grow beside bodies of water. And these trees do not grow straight. They go crooked, bent. And they do that to reach their leaves into the water. There's an image for your life. There's an image for our lives. That our desires would bend us, would twist us towards living waters. That our deep longings would cause us to lean in to Jesus to who He is, to what He has said, to what He has promised. So, in your desire for approval, for acceptance, can you lean towards Him who says, no condemnation? In your desire for security and for comfort, will you lean towards the One who says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you? your deep desire for pleasure, for delight, will you lean towards the One who says, Behold, I am making all things new. Will you hear His invitation? Would you hear Him saying on the cross, For you, I'm thirsty. And then inviting you to drink. Let's pray.